Please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we continue our study in this book. We will finish up with 2 Timothy next week and we'll move into Titus. And then my plan is after we finish Titus to do a study on the minor prophet Joel that will lead us to the end of the year. So I'm excited about that. I encourage you to be reading ahead those books as well as finishing up here in 2 Timothy for your own personal reading. Before we go to uh, the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to your Word, we pray that you would instruct us from it, teach us from it. It is the true, authoritative, inerrant, infallible presence and directive for our lives. It is the wisdom that leads to salvation. It is the wisdom that leads to our continued service to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would convict us of our sin so that we might better know you, so we might better serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this, there are several things that came to mind, actually, but but I'd use a personal... um, Story. So I read through this, it made me think of the many, many times that I have searched the internet to find a disease or condition that matched my symptoms. Have you guys ever done that before? Uh, I tend to be a worrier most of the time and a hypochondriac some of the time. So I've had to go through uh, these links in order to get this part of my mind under control, and I've, it's, it's been difficult. Um, so what's the allure of something like an internet symptom checker, you know, like WebMD or something like that? Well, uh, because if we know something about what's so, I wake up in the middle of the night and my stomach's hurting and it's weird. I'm like, I just grab my phone. And my stomach. Well, if I know what's wrong with me, then all of a sudden I can do something about it, right? And those sites give us info. Well, you know, I mean, WebMD, that has to be correct, right? It's Dr. Webb. I mean, we should trust Dr. Webb. Well, I read a study about Dr. Webb, and a study showed that only 60% of the diagnosis that were given uh, of the correct diagnosis was found in the top 20% or the top 20 possibilities of what might be ailing you. So if you type in your symptoms in WebMD, uh, they give you 20 possibilities, and only 60% of the time is it going to be in that top 20. Um, reading those stats, I think, helped me understand and kind of snap out of this addiction that I have of checking the web for my own cause of death. Uh, why is that? Why do we do that? Well, because those stats showed me actual truth rather than what I wanted to hear. All right? I was wanting to hear anything. Why? Because I was anxious, whatever it is at the time. So any news was something to grab a hold of, even though that news was just wrong and bad. Truth brought clarity. The lies bring confusion and anxiety. Well, we have a very similar idea in this text today. Paul talks about people who have itching ears, and they're gathering teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Well, what do people want to hear today? What, do pe- what did people want to hear then? Well, it's pretty much the same thing. In our society today, people want to hear how they can find love and acceptance, how they can find security and comfort, 
How they can find a way to not have to worry anymore. I mean, if you could take away worry from society, it would be amazing, right? Everyone wants to be able to turn off or kind of unplug, to kind of coast. You know the moment that, uh, and we're all familiar with this moment around here, the moment that a tornado warning is finally lifted. The tornado warning's over. We're like, okay, now I can go back to sleep. That moment of release, of tension release. Well, we want that really for our whole lives. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, okay, nothing bad's going to happen to me from now to the whenever? Okay, great. I'm good. Now I can go to sleep. Now I can rest. Well, what is the problem with that? Well, sometimes those reports get it wrong. Sometimes tornadoes happen even after the warning is over. There's no such thing as comfort and release in this fallen world, at least permanently. Sometimes the teachers that we gather for ourselves don't know any more than we do when it comes to that sort of thing. Pain, despair, doubt, these things continue to plague us, even though there are many who still claim to have the answers to those things. So how do we sift through all of these different teachers and the claims that they make? Well, we go to Scripture, of course. Paul is giving Timothy those, those very instructions here as his day was very much like ours. People gathered folks together to tell them what they wanted them to hear, to make them feel good about whatever it was. And so as we look at this particular text, I want to consider it in three points. The charge to preach, then the challenge of preaching... And then the tools for enduring in that. And so with that, we're going to look at the text, First Tim, or Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let's stand together now as we read from God's Word. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Amen. This is God's word. And be seated. So just quickly, last week, remember we talked about how the word of God from the end of chapter 3 is uh, the very wisdom of God for our salvation and for the work of the ministry. We gather wisdom from the world, but it can lead us astray. Only the word of God will never fail us. We call the word infallible. That's what we mean. It cannot fail. It does not fail. And so this is an important context for these next set of verses, which I can consider to be very timely for our church today. And anyone who, uh, who plans to talk to others about Jesus should know this about society. They are gathering together teachers to teach them. 
In many ways, not only do we need instructions on how to talk to the unbeliever, which obviously we do, we need to know how to talk to those who have chosen to make their faith, their faith a nominal part of their lives, which more and more is an increasing thing today. We need to know how to talk to those people. When faith becomes small, their need for truth will also diminish. And the problem laid out here before us becomes more and more. And we see this in the church today. We see this in churches that 20 years ago were faithfully preaching the gospel and now are preaching next to nothing. And so this is a constant problem. And so as we consider this passage, remember the ability of the scriptures to provide wisdom, not just for, the, for day-to-day life, but also for eternal salvation. So that brings us to the first point, the charge to preach. The first thing we read is that Paul is charging Timothy to preach the word of God. This is a similar word. He says, uh, I'll read verse 1 and part of verse 2. I charge, you, or in the, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. And so this charge is very similar to a directive or an order that he's giving Timothy. But more than that, it's like a testimony that's being given to him. A testimony that's been given to him before he begins his ministry. When we ordain someone at the presbytery level, the moderator or someone else will actually give them a charge. That's what it's called. It's an exhortation concerning their ministry and the upcoming challenges that they may have. And we, we open the scriptures and we give them a charge from the scriptures. When I was ordained, this was the charge that I was given to, to preach the word. To be ready in season and out of season. Well, what does that mean? Well, what do we think, think about when you think about in season and out of season? Well, pumpkin spice is in season right now. Think about it that way. You don't get a pumpkin spice coffee in the spring. You get it in the fall. And so there are going to be times when preaching the word is like eating a, a fresh apple that is in season, right? That just kind of fell from the the tree right into our hands in season. I don't know if you guys have ever had a honey crisp apple before, but they're divine. They're amazing. They're in season right now. Go get them and eat them. Or they're perfect. They're so delicious and wonderful, the perfect food. And sometimes preaching the word is just like that. It feels perfect. Everything is in order. Everything's bliss. You're eating the apple and you're going through the hills and they're alive with the sound of music. Everything is wonderful. But there are other times when eating that apple is last year's apple. And preaching the word is like eating that apple. Soft, grainy. You bite into it. It's brown in the middle. It's gross. You spit it out. Throw it in the trash. And this kind of thing happens when you least expect it. But we are to continue to preach the word in season and out of season, when it's good and when it's a rotten apple. Notice that the, the word is given for the things that makes us wise to do there. Uh, in chapter, at the end of chapter 3, it, it, the word is able to reprove and, re, reprove and rebuke, to exhort with complete patience. 
these things, correction, exhortation, and exhortation is just another way of saying strongly urging and encouraging, these things can be difficult as a preacher of the word, as, as individuals who should be sharing the word with those that we love and know. The word is sometimes difficult, is it not? Particularly in our culture, when it oftentimes grates against the culture. Why is the word difficult? Well, it is a rock. It is unmoving. It either provides structure and stability for our lives as believers, or when we choose to ignore it and disobey it, it is a rock that we break against. We have all done both of those things as believers, and so we understand that sometimes teaching it is difficult because it calls us to give it to the people that we love the most. And so for Timothy... This is a charge to always preach the word, even though he won't always be popular. And the word won't always be popular. Timothy had to visit churches. He had other churches to plant. He had elders and deacons to train, congregations to care for. And all of this was under this charge to preach the word. Like we said last week, there will be many times when the world's wisdom could seem better. But it's not. It always ends badly, even for these things, like even for church-related things. We have to be careful that we're not taking the, the world's wisdom above the, 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 above the words. The church doesn't need to learn how to be the church from the world. The world doesn't even know what the church is. It can't understand that. The church needs instructions from its head shepherd. And the way that we get that is through the preaching and the teaching of the Word. And it's just not from me or from the other elders, from Andy, but from each one of us. We have to teach it to our families, to our friends. We have to teach it to each other. We have to teach it to ourselves through personal study and devotion. And so the charge is for all of us, brothers and sisters. The season is coming, and really it's already here in many respects, and it's always going to be here until the Lord Jesus comes. When the preaching of the word will be among the least possible or the least popular things on earth. And this isn't just outside the church like we would expect it to be. Of course, it's going to be unpopular among unbelievers, but it's going to happen inside the church. And if the world can't stomach the preaching of the word, we understand that. But when the church can't stand the preaching of the word, we have to wonder why. Christians should crave God's word and should seek out sources for it at all times. And so what is it that would cause a Christian then to not do that, to turn otherwise? And that brings us to our next point, the challenge of preaching. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the challenge of preaching. People will gather for themselves preachers that will say things that they want to hear. Just like me going to the internet to diagnose myself, folks will gather every sort of person and teacher to themselves to say exactly the things that they want them to say. Don't we love agreeing with people rather than disagreeing? So we gather people to us that we always agree with. That's dangerous. It's a sad thing because there are always teachers ready to take up the mantle. 
ready to tickle the ears and give the people exactly what they want. I want to use an example that I think we can all understand, and that's the word faith movement. It's a heretical, dangerous, charismatic movement. The teachers there, they realize that people want money and good health. There's nothing wrong with money and good health, right? So what do they tell folks? Well, they tell them they can have it. All they have to do is plant a financial seed in their ministry. They can definitely have these things. Just plant a financial seed. Want to see a harvest of health and wealth? Well, just send me a thousand bucks and it'll happen. People want to hear that health and wealth are easy, that they don't require work. So they buy it from the preacher guy. And he laughs all the way to his private Caribbean island on his private jet. Because that's what he has because of the people sending him thousands of dollars in order to get health and wealth. They will gather together these teachers and it's a small trade-off for those who are willing to be that teacher. Woe to them at the end of the days. Well, that's an easy one to pick on, right? What about the church leadership that doesn't want to do anything about infidelity in the church? Not saying anything is as bad as saying the wrong thing. Churches that allow infidelity and cohabitation, very common things inside the church today, unfortunately. Churches that allow this from their members, and they do so in the name of, well, we don't want to judge them, or we're just trying to keep the peace. Folks will go there just so they can cover the church part of their lives and have no judgment for the affair that they're having. Well, we just can't get into people's personal lives, I've heard someone say, Um, and that will be the end of it. Everyone's ears will have been scratched, and they go on about their lives, and lives and families are destroyed as the church continues on. What about kids who leave the church and go off to college and leave their faith? Why is that happening? Well, we all like to say this to ourselves. We gather people around us who will say this as well. Well, they were just never part of the body of Christ to begin with anyway. And that makes us feel good, right? Helps us to sleep at night. Why are our covenant children leaving the church? Because we've taught them how to be Christians rather than teaching them about Christ. We've made Christianity a list of do-nots rather than seeing seeing it as our Creator coming down and being here among us. We've taken the name of Jesus out of it or out of Christianity and we replaced it with a God who has a perfect plan for our lives as long as that involves not embarrassing our parents by doing something dumb they leave because we've stripped Christianity down to nothing and we're serving and we're serving them with something that they can get from college or from a college professor or any political cause random political cause which there are a hundred today that you can go out and get the same feeling that you can get from any church That's not preaching the gospel. A sense of inclusion, a sense of belonging, and a a system of rules that you have to follow in order to be a part of that group. Is that what we want church to be? Well, our ears have been tickled, so we turn our backs. So what do we do? How do we keep from this kind of thing? First of all, we have to see ourselves as guilty. Again, it's real easy to take this passage and Look at, a, look at a group like the Word Faith who completely exemplifies this, but it's so easy to do that. We have to see ourselves as exemplifying this as well. I think we can pick out that group and say, Thank the Lord that I'm not like them. 
just like the Pharisee did when he saw the publican, forgetting that we really are the same people. We're also gathering a set of teachers who will agree with everything that we say. It's all about comfort, right? But that comfort may come from another different place, whether it be our own sinful passions, our kids acting right, and that's our comfort. Our bank account, the size of our church even. I want us to think about that. Um, Because we'll gather teachers together as a church, as Redeemer community, that makes us feel good about being a small church. And that way we don't actually have to go out and preach the gospel ever. Well, because, well, he said being a a small church is better. We don't have to preach the word that way. And because we're a small church and we want to stay that way, and this guy says that's okay, we'll just do that. We have to be careful that we're not in the same boat, right? And so I think first and foremost, repentance is in order, brothers and sisters. We are those folks who would rather not hear the word of God. We are those folks that will turn away from it. And so we have to repent from those times that we do. Rather than wandering off into the myths that we could easily create for ourselves, we have to return to the truth of God's word. The myths of comfort and ease, they do not exist. What is real? People are dying and going to hell without Jesus. We've been called to preach the word in season and out of season. That is what's real. So what are we going to do? And that brings us to the the last point, the the tools for enduring. Look at verse 5 with me. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so Paul tells us here we have to be sober-minded, meaning that we have to have a calm and vigilant mind, be uh, a clear judgment. And the way that we do that is by filling it with the word rather than other things. We must endure suffering because when we preach the word, sometimes we're going to bite into that nasty apple like I talked about earlier. Sometimes preaching the word is hard. Sometimes it's very much out of season. But yet we have to do it anyway. We have to do the work of an evangelist. And what do they do? Well, evangelists preach the gospel. We have to do that, brothers and sisters. Notice verses 6 through 8. Paul is giving us his own way of kind of telling us that his life is coming to a close. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. This idea of a drink offering goes back to the Old Testament. Pouring out the drink offering on the, on the altar. It's, this, it's a sign of him giving of his life. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what is he saying here? He knows that he doesn't have much longer on earth. The political climate of his day was very tense. Christians weren't welcome, and Paul was their leader So he was definitely a marked target, and he was in Rome, which is where Christians were dying. And so he knew that his days were not long, and and this was the last letter that he wrote to the church, as, as a matter of fact. And notice where his security lies. Look with me here. Where does his security lie? has nothing to do with his current situation, right? He's in a Roman prison. He has to uh, depend on others to bring him food, to bring him water. He doesn't know when they're going to come and take him and cut his head off. He has no idea. But yet his security lies in the crown of, righteous, crown of righteousness, which the Lord will reward him on the day that he dies. 
And I think we can look at this two ways, both of them being correct, that this not only points to the righteousness of Christ, which we have as believers because of what he did for us, Christ's righteousness accounted to us, Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, but it also is like the victory crown, the prize at the end of the race. And it's not a prize that shows our own worth. Make sure we understand that because we have none outside of Jesus. But it's a crown that shows that we are finished. It's a crown that shows that we've made it to the end and we are complete in Christ. It is the promise that's this promise that should cause us to persevere. And so how do we do that? Well, again, the word of God must be very near and dear to us lest we be convinced by other wayward teachers. And if you don't think this can't happen, why did the Reformation need to occur 500 years ago? Because the entire church forgot the Word of God. And so it can happen. It does happen. It will happen. I mean, consider my Internet diagnosis again. In my worst bouts of this over my life, do you know what fixes them every single time that I've had these problems? I go to the doctor because they know things. Not only do they know the human body, but they also know hypochondriacs like me, and so they give me the truth. And the truth settles it for me every single time because I'm a rational person, even though I'd look at the Internet for diagnosis. What do we need then as brothers or as people in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ? We need the truth, and we must listen to it We must believe it, or we'll turn away from it every single time. Show me a believer that is never in church, hearing the word preached, hearing it taught, and I'll show you one that is turning away every single time. Why? Because where are they getting their truth otherwise? Where are they getting their correction and their exhortation? Who's leading them? I mean, you've heard it said, well, I watch church on TV. I get that TV preacher. Well, choosing a TV preacher over the real thing is how you spell cowardly. Because being among the people of God is good for the soul, and it is refreshing. But it also lays us bare, and we can't hide. That's why we do this together, brothers and sisters. We come together to do church. If it wasn't necessary, then we could all stand in our homes, and I could preach from my bed. But that's why we come together, because it is good and necessary that we be together. We must time and time again expose ourselves to the truth of the scriptures, and we must check those teachers, lest we allow wolves to come in among the sheep. And so that's a charge to you all. As the congregation who hears me preach, check me out. Make sure you have your Bibles open. Make sure I'm not saying anything crazy. If I am, let me know. If I won't listen to you, let the presbytery know. That's why they're there. We have these checks and balances so that when wolves come, we get rid of them. And so in conclusion, I think I could go on and on here, but I think we understand the thrust here. It's easy for people to find, or it's easy for us to find people who will agree with us, to say what we want them to say. That's real easy. But where do we find the truth? In God's word. So brothers and sisters, I give the same charge that Paul gave to Timothy. Preach the word of God in season and out of season. Do so with complete patience. For the unbeliever 
who would hear and doesn't know Jesus, but also for the believer who has forgotten about him. To the unbeliever, we offer the gospel. Jesus Christ died to take on their sin, that they might have eternal life. Absolutely, we offer that. And to the believer, what do we do? We remind them of the same thing. Because you and I need that reminder. Don't wander off into myths. Listen to the truth, and you will not turn from it. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your word. It is true because you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through you. Forgive us, Lord, when we seek other wisdom, when we seek other ways to the Father, when we seek other ways to comfort and security. Those are the times that we are gathering these teachers together to make us feel good, to tickle our ears. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to turn to the truth, to stay focused on it, that we might serve you, that we might grow as a church, that we may know more about you, that we might preach the word in season and out of season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.